are looking at the disciples. There are times most of us will look at them and think, look, these are the ones that God picked. But I wanted to look at them from the human side because Jesus calls them his disciples. But after he instructs them, he calls them his apostles. Okay, and the word apostles, if it's a definite article apostle, the apostles, that means that the resurrected Christ called them. Okay, if it is an apostle, it means it is a sent out one. Okay, so the difference is, is there's an office, I guess if you want to call it, of the apostles, which means that the resurrected Christ has called you. Okay, you visually saw Jesus Christ. Okay, if you are a disciple and have been trained, understand humility, understand commitment, and understand the spiritual power that God has presented you, now you're also an apostle because you are sent forth. With a message. Got it? Alright, we're done. Let's pray. No, just kidding. <laughs> Let's read our text. I'm going to start at verse 1 and I'll just go through the first five. Jesus summoned His twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the twelve apostles, note the difference, are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who is one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans. Father, help us to hear this and understand that these are common men. They are no different than any of us in this room. And yet, Father, it is your power to turn the world upside down with, at best, eleven half-hearted, one traitor. Father, no leader would have picked these people. And yet, Father, no leader would have picked any of us. Help us to have eyes to see. Help us to have ears to hear. Help us to have hearts open the amazing thing that you have done in Christ's name. Amen. If you look at these men and you go through the gospel record, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will understand that they are all as different as the day is long. There's nothing that you could utilize these and say, you guys are all kind of, I mean, you got two sets of brothers. Has anybody ever seen sibling rivalry? Brothers always get along perfectly, don't they? Alright, so you've got two sets of brothers, so there's four of them. You've got a zealous who is a politician. A zealot is a, basically a politician. A tax collector. A tax collector and a politician. That mixes well. Okay, so you see what I'm trying to get at? When you look at this... You're just like, well, this is the goofiest group of people I've ever seen in my life. This makes the three stooges look calm. All right. And yet, when you look at the essence of what happened, there were an absolute unity. How in the world do you do that? Well, truth of the matter is, you don't. You can't. You couldn't. And probably in most cases, you wouldn't. When I look through this and I understand it, it is is kind of hilarious to me because you're like, you couldn't pull this odd a group of people together if you planned on it. And yet, that's what our Lord did. So let's look at them. We started going through it. This is actually what our third message, I think. Now, the names of the twelve apostles, verse 2, are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter. Simon Peter, 
Okay, this is the first one that Matthew speaks of. But I want to share with you something. Peter was not the first one called. Okay, who was the first one called? Anybody know? His brother, Andrew. Okay, and Andrew's first response when he heard that this is, behold, the Lamb of God, what was his response? He went and got his brother. Okay, he went and got his big mouth brother. Okay, I mean, I've read a number of commentaries on this and that he was bombastic. No, he was a big mouth. Okay, he was, you hear all these terms that nobody wants to say. You know, but, you know, he was very proud. He was very this. He was very. No, man, he was a loudmouth. Okay. And when I look at this, it's just a tad bit amazing to me, to be honest with you. In John's gospel, chapter one, verses 40 and 42. One of the two who heard John speak. And followed him was, okay, now what, what you're reading here is John the Baptist has just baptized Jesus Christ. Okay, and he says what? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of man. Now, this is John the Baptist. All right, one of those who heard this was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. 42, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. Okay, Cephas is Aramaic. All right. Which is translated Petros in the Greek, what you and I know as Peter. So when you see Paul in 1 Corinthians say, you boast of being of Cephas, he's using the Arabic term for Peter. Alright? Cephas in Aramaic, or Petros in the Greek, or Peter in the English means stone. Stone. Okay? Now, you have to admit, even at a cursory reading of Scripture, Peter was the spokesman for the twelve. Okay? I mean, <laughs> a.k.a. the loudmouth. Alright? But if you look at his... Nature, okay, and now I'm going to back up to Simon. If you look at his nature, I, I would classify it, if I'm going to be politically correct today, he was a tad bit impulsive. Agree? And yet, one of the things I've noticed about impulsive people, that's really kind of funny, well, it's not, it's kind of sad, but it's comical to watch. As long as it's not personally involving you. Impulsive people, by their nature, vacillate. T check it out. I'm not trying to say I'm a psychological genius, but the people that I've ever seen impulsive vacillate. Okay, because they're quick. Oh, was that right? Okay, look at Peter. Look at Peter. And Jesus changed his name. And I find it fascinating because when I think about him as Simon, I realize that he's a very impulsive person that vacillated, so I'll call him Stone. Okay, there ain't nothing Stone about Peter. Perhaps the Lord, now this is perhaps, do not take this to a theological exposition, please. Perhaps the Lord named him Peter to help remind him. Because Peter still throughout his life up until the coming of the Holy Spirit, Peter needed to be reminded 
that he needed to be strong and he needed to be stable. When he acted that way, stable, the Lord would refer to him as Peter. I want to show you something that kind of gives you an idea. Because most people, what I've learned is, is a lot of people, a lot of Christians, if they could try to compare themselves to some of the disciples, most people inevitably want to be Peter. Okay? And yet I look at Peter as the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. Okay? But we all want to sort of, I'm ready! As Peter said, he was ready. In John's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 15 and following. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. You know what that means? You're vacillating. You're going between the flesh and the spirit. Simon Peter, make up your mind. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now think about that text right there, because we've heard that text. But how does he start it out? You who vacillate. Do you love me more than these? Now I can get into it because we've studied this before. The word agape and phileo. Agape means you are more important to me regardless of your response back to me. Phileo means you're my bud. But don't make it a burden. You who vacillate, do you agape me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I, what does Peter's response? Phileo. That's not the question. That's why it started off with Simon Peter. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of John. What did he just do to him? Took him back to the flesh. Do you agape me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John. Then you know what he says? Do you phileo me? He brought it back down to the flesh side. See, I see people who say, well, I want to be like Peter. You want that text? You want that text? Do you even like me? You who are in the flesh and in the spirit all the time, vacillating to and fro, tossed by every wind of, no, not me. Though all would forsake you, I would never forsake you until they arrest you. Said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo you. Tend my sheep. In the Gospel of John, Peter is called Simon Peter 17 times. Because John knew Peter pretty well. And he wasn't sure which Peter he'd be talking about. John knew Peter so well, he realized he was always drifting between the sinful Simon and the spiritual Peter. The Lord wants us to be solid. Okay. Now I shared with you a couple of weeks ago God first must instruct us as He instructs us He will humble us or humiliate us 
They both accomplish the same thing. Which will strengthen our commitment so that we understand love. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. It's sort of encouraging. Well, let's start with verse 4. And coming to Him, Jesus, as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones are being built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, when you read that, you don't really think that much about it. Because everybody wants to talk about the royal priesthood, and we, we all want to talk about, you know, wow, this is kind of this is kind of cool, you know, spiritual sacrifices, that's kind of cool. But when you read that first verse, verse 4, he says, And coming to Him, okay, that's your salvation, Him is Jesus Christ, as to a living Cephas in the Aramaic. A living Peter in the English. A living Petras in the Greek. Who's writing this letter? Peter. Then look at verse 5. You also are living Cephas. Petras stones. See, what is really cool, this is toward the end of Peter's life, and it's what's nice, especially as a pastor, is Peter got it. Peter got it, finally. But we look around at each other and say, boy, I wish they would get it, finally. Don't we? There's always someone that, well, they're pretty vacillating there, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then we forget to look in the mirror. Perhaps we're leading them. Perhaps they are being discipled by us. And they see our vacillation and they vacillate. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18 Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. But you know what is amazing about that? Grow in the grace and knowledge. See, Peter was understanding it. When I showed you the text there in 21 of John, that's the end of it. That's after the resurrection. You've denied me three times. Do you love me three times? Do you even like me? Do you see that? But look what verse 17 says. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall down from your own steadfastness. Now, I wonder where Peter got that idea from. Where do you think he got that idea? People who would fall down from their steadfastness? Where would Peter come up with that from? See, people, it's funny because people will normally look at Peter and say, that man is a natural born leader. Really? Would you say a natural born leader vacillates you know one of my favorite leaders of all time was general Patton. i mean that there's a man's man okay and we all base our understanding of Patton from george c scott okay have you ever heard a live tape of george Patton? You'd better be looking at him because you ain't going to follow him if you're just hearing him. He talks like this. And you're sitting there going, wait a minute, the greatest tank commander ever? And he talks like a little girl. But a lot of people believe he used so much profanity because he talked like a little girl. Okay? And yet you would say, that was a great leader. As long as you didn't have to listen to him. 
Okay, because see, we have it in our mind, George C. Scott, this big booming voice. It's sort of like, have you ever heard Adrian Rogers? Okay, big woo voice. You know, he's about that tall. I met him one time in Memphis. I'm sitting there going, what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> I mean, he, wait, wait, he's a little bitty man. How you do that? Okay. So we get it in our minds, if they're great orators, or they're this, or they're that, then that must be a leader. And yet, I can't really go along with that. But I will tell you this. Each of you have natural characteristics. Okay? These characteristics do not make you a spiritual leader. Okay? Now, listen, I'm not talking about, well, I'm going to be an elder, or I'm going to be a pastor. I'm talking about, if you're saved then you are a disciple. If you are a disciple, then you will be making disciples. That makes you a follower and a leader, whether you like it or not. It may not be, quote unquote, the leadership of the fellowship, but you are leading people. I don't care who you are. It might be your neighbor. It might be your children. It might be your spouse. Whatever it is, you are leading Okay, And yet these natural characteristics, these natural traits do not make you a leader. Most of the things that I see today that we qualify as leaders lack humility. Okay, And when the humility shows up, it's considered a weakness. Is that you're like, no, that's what you would say about Peter. bombastic. I heard that term the other day and I was like, well, that could fit just about anybody. <laughs> anyway, there are those who are in spiritual leadership that are gifted and called and it is all the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes God will utilize that raw material. Some of the greatest Spiritual leaders that I have ever been exposed to are introverts. Now, how does that work? How do you take somebody who wants to be left alone and make them a spiritual leader? One of the greatest introverts that I've ever had opportunity to spend time with is Dr. MacArthur. He is as shy as the day is long. Well, but have you heard it? Well, you know what? When he walks up there, he's worked at whatever he's about to say. Okay. But you know one of the things that I notice? He don't vacillate. <laughs> but but I, I have spent time with him and you can't pry it out of him. Anything about him. He don't want to talk about it. Now, what makes a good spiritual leader? And I, and I thought you'd never ask. Okay? And, and this is something that I want you to think about. Because you will be, as a Christian, either a, you will follow somebody who is teaching you, instructing you, so that you can repeat it. Okay? So you will be following someone ahead of you. But you will also be leading people that are behind you who haven't arrived yet. How, how do I know who these people are? <laughs> Look at the person of Peter. All right. One of the things that will jump out at you, if you read the four Gospels, if you just take some time, and say, okay, I'm going to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm going to read them woof, all the way through. Oh, it's a lot of reading. Therein lies your problem. Okay? But if you just sit down and you read them all the way through, one of the things that will jump out of you, of Peter, is that if I look at the gospel record, he asks more questions than all the rest combined. Okay? Peter was always asking questions. All right? 
they would call this, he was inquisitive. Okay, inquisitive. He's always asking questions. Listen, if a leader, the person you're following, is not asking questions, he's not worth a nickel as a leader. Please understand me. I'm saying that with as much tact as I can. I can say it another way, but I'm not going to ask it. I'm not going to say it. He's not worth a nickel. Listen, if that individual has no concerns or no problems, they have no solutions. All right? Now, you can sit there and say, well, that's Terry's opinion. Yeah, okay. How about I prove it? That inquisitiveness, always asking why. Think about Peter. Why? All right? That inquisitiveness will always lead to trying to find the answers. All right? Because if I'm trying to find the answers then it will give me initiative. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, Jesus came up to him and says, Who do they say I am? He asked the disciples in verse 13, Who do the people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter had done what? He'd already asked all those questions. And guess what he said? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Got it? He was always asking the questions. Why? That would initiate the answers. But if I take that same thought and move over to Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, verse 45. You know this text. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out from me. This is the woman with the issue of blood. Peter's response initiated by the question was, There's too many people here to even come up with a conclusion. So when you take a person who's always asking the question, who is the person always to come up with the answer? Okay, so you have the inquisitiveness that is there, which will be the initiative to come up with the answer. Okay, so if you have a person who likes to ask questions, who likes to find the answers, then guess what? You've got somebody who wants to be right in the middle of the action. Why? Because if you're in the middle of the action, you're going to be getting the questions, but you're also going to be receiving the answers so that you can address the questions. Peter liked to be in that. But I want to share with you something. You you start to say, well, that sounds a lot like me. Okay, well, let me explain something to you. God bless you. If you like to ask the questions, you like to find out the answers, and you like to throw the answers out there, you this, it will cause you a lot of problems. Peter liked to be in the middle of it, even when it caused problems. We always like to talk about Peter got out of the boat. Yep. Peter sank. Didn't he? Peter liked to be in the action. He pulled the sword out when it came to arrest him. Right? 
Jesus had two humiliating. See, what I want, I want you to try to understand about this, and I can go on and on and on with Peter and his, though all would forsake you, I will never forsake you until that night. Right? And how humiliating is it to have, do you love me? I mean, if you go look at Luke's gospel, the third time he denies Christ, do you know when it is? They're walking him out of Caiaphas' palace across the yard. And they said, you are one of the Galileans. And he says, no, I'm not. And it says, Luke's gospel says, they made eye contact. How many times in a day do you and I deny Christ? But we don't make eye contact with him. Because you don't have to do that one time and say, oh, poo. I remember I had to preach in front of a bunch of, it was a preaching thing in Memphis. Dr. Olford was critiquing us. And so everybody that was there were pastors and they critiqued you. So you preached your sermon and then you stood there and everybody would explain what they did or didn't get from your message. And so when I arrived at the, 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 the place, the Olfords have become dear friends of mine. And, and so, you know, we all went into the chapel where we were going to preach at. And these are all pastors. And what, was, what I learned was, because we had one day together, and then the next day it all began. Okay, and so I started learning. All these guys were preaching. Pastors have this thing they call it their sugar cane sermon. I do this one really well. Okay, and I never thought about doing something that convenient. Okay, so I had a text that I had been studying out of First Thessalonians, and I thought I would share it. I'd never preached it. And I was like, oh, great, I'm dead meat. So they said, well, who wants to go first? And I stuck my hand up. And they said, well, all right, why do you want to go first? I want to get this over with. Okay, I don't want to sit and listen to all these guys for three days. I want to be done with it. And so uh, that next morning, I was first. <laughs> One of the ladies that was there is... Uh, she was Dr. Olford's homiletic secretary. Now, you know you've arrived as a pastor when you have a homiletic secretary. Because I don't even know what that is. So I'm sitting next to her. and She looks over at me. She said, are you nervous? I says, if my hands were on fire, I couldn't spit and put them out. She says, well, I don't understand why you would be nervous. I says, Dr. Olford's going to be sitting there. He's the one who taught that guy, uh, what's his name? Uh, used to be Youth for Christ, How to Preach. Uh, oh, Billy Graham. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, all right, I'm going to sit in front of him. This ought to be wonderful. And she said, why are you scared? And then she makes this statement. She says, you don't have to be afraid. Every Sunday you preach before Christ. Yeah, but he ain't sitting there looking at me taking notes. <laughs> that was my response. Peter looked across that yard. Denied Christ the third time. Listen, God uses our life-changing experiences to mold us into the tools and the purposes that He wants. We see that in Matthew chapter 16, 15 and 16. But I want to take you over to John's Gospel. Because we have to understand that our life experiences mold us into it, it is used to strengthen us and our effectiveness. Does that make sense? In John's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 15 and following, is that, do you love me? And we, we've seen that. Okay, then verse 18, he says this, 15, 16, and 17. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk. Now, remember what we just came out of. 
Do you agape me twice? Then do you even phileo me? All right. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you were you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not want to go. Now, this, he said, signifying the kind of death he would glorify God. And when he spoke these things, he said. Follow me. You see what Jesus just did? Now, remember, this is the same Jesus who says Satan wants to sift you. But after you've been restored, you will strengthen the brethren. And now he's saying, huh? Because, see, it'd be nice if Peter said, you know what? I just denied him three times. He restored me. That sifting thing's over. Now I've got that off of my bucket list. Okay? That ain't what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, you will be crucified for me. And your crucifixion will glorify God the Father. After you've been restored... You will walk, but you will walk to a place that you do not want to go. I will take your characteristics, your impetuousness, your loud mouth, your vacillation. I will take all of those and I will make you effective as a stone to the point they will stretch out your arms and you will be crucified for the glory of the Father. So he molds our characteristic, each and every one of us. You might be quiet. I'm kind of timid. You know, I'm kind of, you know, I don't like to be in the limelight. Well, who was that? Peter's brother who was called before Peter, Andrew. I find that fascinating. Let me ask you a question. What do you and I learn from our experiences? Now, you just look at it. This room full of people right now. We have a group of experiences right here that are probably none of them are even close to being similar. And yet, those experiences through our characteristics are doing what? Strengthening us. Let me tell you what you need. And you need to be looking at as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you'll see the rest of these men. Submission. We all are very successful with submission. Submission has never been a problem for the human race. Submission. But in learning submission, we will also learn restraint. Restraint. Because restraint comes out of humility. But we will also learn sacrifice. Submission, restraint, humility, sacrifice, and it all ends in what? Love. When I look at leaders today, whether it's in the secular world, other people who believe they are in leadership in the church, I see that they are confident and I see they are aggressive. Which causes them to struggle with submission to authority. Okay? In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17, verses 24 through 27, you know the text. 24 to 27. You need to pay your taxes, Peter. The drachma tax to preach. What happens when the church's uh, tax-exempt status is repealed? Well, then we're going to go fishing. And I'll be getting a quarter out of every fish I catch. We're in trouble. (laughs) We are children of the kingdom. 
And I'm supposed to submit to governmental authorities? Jesus showed that to Peter. Why? Because Peter was confident. Peter was aggressive. Peter didn't like the government. Peter, Jesus taught him, oh yeah, you submit to them. Live by the sword, you die by the sword. Paul told the Romans, guess what? The authority is putting there so we can live in peace. And yet this is the same Peter who grabbed a sword when they came to arrest Jesus. We all at some point, leaders included, entrust our lives to the Father as Christ did, and we do it in submission. Ever had trouble with that? Entrusting what is going on in your life to God the Father, regardless of what is happening. Peter boasted that he would never leave nor forsake. And you can either be humble before Jesus Christ or you will be humiliated before society. You got two options. But let me tell you something. Humility will come. Humility is difficult. You can deny Christ three times and then have to make eye contact with Him on the third one. How's that? And don't think that is out of your reach. Let me ask you a question. It says, women, you are to what? Submit to your own husband. Right? And all the men go, amen. Right? But women, I want to ask you a question. What do you do with the text out of Genesis that says, part of the curse is that you will desire your husband? You ever looked at the word desire? Absurd your husband. I heard a lady one time try to debate that with me. and says, well, it just means that we will love our husbands. And that's part of the curse. And some would say, amen. <laughs> you don't know him like I do. Right? That's difficult. I didn't say it wouldn't be. Why? It takes humility to submit. Well, he's not always right. It doesn't say you submit when he's right. It says you submit. Period. I have a very dear friend of mine. Actually, her and her husband had, were instrumental in the early growth of me as a Christian. And they were teaching through the Navigator's course called Colossians 2.7. You can go look it up. It, 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 oh gosh, it was amazing. But anyway, her husband was killed in a kayaking trip. And she became a young widow with two small children. We stayed in contact. We still stay in contact. I remember visiting with her uh, one weekend or something. And, and I told her she had gone through the transition. She was young. Okay. And she'd gone through the transition that everybody said, sell the house. It was down in the mountains and sell the house and go into Denver to a big church where you can find a husband. And I said, well, I hate to break the news to you. Do you not understand God's sovereign even in the mountains? And I said, if you seek his face, you will find his glory. And so she ran into a man and I warned her. She said, well, you know, he's a young believer. I said, I understand this. He still has to be trained up. Are you willing to go back through the beginner classes? And she said, what? You can't teach him. God has to teach him. Are you willing to go through the beginner's walk? And she said, well, I never thought of that. But I love him. That's fine. That's not what I'm asking. But God will train us all. 
See, in John's Gospel 21, Peter was told that he would die as a martyr. He was told. He was even told the type of death he would endure. He knew his life was on the line. Peter understood this. Remember, Peter, right after Pentecost, what did he do? He walked into the temple where the Sanhedrin is and says, You men of Israel who murdered Messiah. That ought to win, friends. But you know what? Peter never backed down. When you're told this is the way you will die for the faith, Peter ministered anyway. Listen, one of the things I've noticed about leaders is that they are task-oriented. Okay? This is what we need to do, and this is how I'll accomplish it. Also notice that when you are task-oriented, there are times this makes you very insensitive to people. Jesus showed Peter. The love for people in John's Gospel, chapter 13, 6 to 9. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? See, there he goes again asking questions. Jesus answered and said, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, Never, see, here you go. This is what I'm telling you. Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. Peter, (laughs) Simon Peter, see there he goes again. Simon Peter, back and forth and back and forth. Simon Peter, he said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head. Why? Peter was task-oriented. But he had no idea what submission was until he learned that he had to pay his taxes. He had no understanding of what humility was until he denied him three times. He had no understanding of any of these things as you go through the text and you understand it. And even to the point where I will have you wash my feet. That was the lowliest slave's Task in the home. And here you have he who spoke existence into being says, I'm going to wash your feet. Why? Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Submission, restraint, humility, sacrifice, and love. See, it's easy for us to look around and say, Peter was the spokesman. Peter was the leader. But do you understand what Peter had to go through to learn that? He had to learn submission. He had to learn restraint. He had to learn humility. He had to learn sacrifice. He had to learn love. And let me tell you something. If you want to be a tool in the hand of God, you better have these characteristics and have learned them. Because every true faithful believer understands submission, restraint, humility, sacrifice, and love. No matter the role that we are in, he or she is in the body of Christ. A disciple understands these. See, a disciple has to learn humility. A disciple has to learn understanding. A disciple has to learn commitment. A disciple has to learn what these spiritual powers are. You will never get any of these if you do not know submission, restraint, humility, sacrifice, and love. I rejoice because I can look at the four Gospels and see the knothead that Peter is. He was a loudmouth. But he never stopped asking questions. And because he would not stop asking questions, he learned. And as he learned them, he could repeat them 
And because he could repeat them, guess what? He was involved. And guess what? Being involved means you have the potential to be eye deep in trouble. Peter was the spokesman. Peter asked the most questions. Peter gave the most answers. Peter was the most involved. And Peter, tradition says, was crucified for his faith in Jesus Christ. But he was told it was coming. Okay? It's easy to say, I want to be like Peter. Be careful what you ask for. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing things you continue to show us on a daily basis. Father, you take each of us, our natural characteristics that you knit together in our mother's wombs, and then through our life experiences, you train us, you encourage us, you hold us, and you use us. Father, may each of us be found faithful. Father, may each of us be found walking worthy of our calling. Father, may each of us understand the urgency of the moment. In Christ's name, amen.